Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 323. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 323 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, mixer, David Nazi, originally from Tuscany, Italy, now located in Los Angeles, California. David is the host of the very popular Mixbus TV YouTube channel, which I will put a link in the show notes to. And he is our guest today. We'll talk about all kinds of things and his journey from Tuscany to Los Angeles. David Nazi coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about time travel. You're probably wondering, where the hell am I going with this? Well, let me get to the point. I have a very small vinyl collection. It's very jazz-focused. 1940s, 50s, 60s, mostly jazz. The usual suspects. Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Cannibal Adderley, all those great names. I do have some rock records. I've got, you know, of course, I got my replacements box set that former WCA guest Justin Perkins remastered. Did a great job. I've got the new ACDC box set. And I've got some oddball things in here. I've got, you know, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. And there's an Iron Maiden record in there somewhere old Black Sabbath paranoid record, but for the most part, my collection of vinyl is jazz focused. The thing I like about vinyl, I'll just say this, it's like having a television without a remote control. You are a captive audience and unless you want to get your butt out of the chair, you're going to listen to whatever's there, right? So I put the records on, I sit down, turn up the monitor controller, and unless the record flat out sucks, I will let it play. I'll let it play all the way through. Sometimes I'll play it two or three times in a row just because it's easier just to pop over there, open the cover, hit the button to start it again. You know, I'll go through a few times and then I'll go back and I'll flip it over. Typically I'll play a record or two in a day because I'm listening to it so much. And it's just, it's a different experience than the streaming experience where my ADD tendencies tend to kick in and I'm there with the mouse going, nah, that sucks. Next, nah, that sucks. Next, ooh, what's that? Oh, let's fast forward to the middle of the song to see where this goes. This is a different experience entirely. So where does the time travel aspect come into play? Well, on the liner notes of many of these records, I've noticed that several of them have been, you know, of course, many of them recorded in studios, but several of them have been recorded at small clubs, small venues, you know, long ago. I picked one up the other day. I can't even remember which one it was. Uh, it was recorded in 1947 at some club in San Francisco I've never even heard the name of. And in reading that, it takes you back. It, may, it just immediately transports you to, wow, this is what was happening in 1947 in a club in San Francisco with this kind of music. And then you read the list of who played on it. And unfortunately, the engineers are rarely credited. But what an experience right? You listen to it and you think, wow, I'm listening to something that occurred, a document that occurred in 1947. Amazing. It's a very different experience than listening to a production from the last 30 years, you know, whether we're talking about Mutt Lang, Roy Thomas Baker, uh, Eddie Kramer, Trevor Horn, who, you know, name the producer and think of the record that really just, you know, put them on the map or, or brought them to your attention. You know, whether it's Yes or Def Leppard or Zeppelin or whatever, very different experience. Now, 
the time travel aspect there, of course, transports you to where you were when you first heard it. You know, I'll, t I'll give you an example. Rush, signals. Every time that record starts and I hear subdivisions, every time I am immediately transported back to being in uh, high school era, in my bedroom at my parents' house in New Mexico, and all the feelings that I had back then come racing back. And it's, it's, it's frightening in a way, but it's a different kind of time travel. I can appreciate both, but the time travel involved in listening to the old jazz records recorded in the old club, that makes me want to impart more of that documenting process into what I do. With, ro with rock bands. But that's hard because, you know, we live in a time where, you know, we've got Pro Tools and drum samples and every tool under the sun that could possibly uh, either do a lot of damage or complement what we do with the artists that we work with, those of us in music, of course. So it's something to consider. Uh, you know, I'm not making any declarations. I'm not asking you to do any soul searching here, but it's something that it came to mind. I wanted to chat with you about it and I wanted to just bring it up. The time travel aspect. When you listen to music, what effect does it have on you? Is it nostalgia? Is it curiosity? What is it? And how can we bring more of the time travel aspect to what we do? You know, and there's, of course, many schools of thought. We could go down a whole nother rabbit hole and I could talk for another 10 minutes and I'm not going to, but you know, there's some that feel that, you know, when they're making records, they're making movies as opposed to documenting a stage performance, right? And that's really, I think uh, there's those two, those two angles and there's everything in between. So it's just food for thought. Like I say, I have no declarations, no, no, no call to actions, no asks, nothing. I just, I wanted to talk to you about it and just tell you that I've been time traveling. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. David Nazi here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you've been out there for quite some time. Uh, <laughs> as as we were talking about just before we started the show here, your show on YouTube, Mixbus TV, just crossed the 100,000 subscriber mark. That's brilliant. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a little bit of a grind compared to other channels in that, in that sense, just because my channel is so technical. I don't do in there like, what's the best mic for under $50? My channel is like advanced mixing and, and mastering. So it was my audience is a niche even more than for other channels. So it, it was good to pass that milestone. Yeah, you definitely have a presence out there. And I've watched a few of your shows and checked out what you're doing. And I just thought, I got to get David on the show <laughs> to have Thank a chat. Well, let's, I want to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I was born in Italy, oh. in Tuscany. Yeah. And I spent my early years there. And then I was into music very young, a very young age. After that, I was in a band. Years later, I moved a lot. I, I lived in various places in, in Europe, Germany, a little bit in Paris. I traveled the world with a band when we were in, on tour mm -hmm. and came to US about 14 years ago. We were here for PR for the band and all that. And yeah. the idea was always to be here. This was the place to be. And then I went back to Europe and I started working. I quit the band. I started working full time as a mix and mastering engineer, which I liked a lot better. <laughs> there was always the plan of, okay, maybe next year I'll go back and move there. And maybe next year, maybe next year. <laughs> All of a sudden it was like a handful of years and I was like, all right, I got to do this. So I finally moved back here. And it was interesting because while I was prepping, I wasn't really going to move that fast, that quick when I made the decision. But I came here for a Tegeler event with some friends and I was in contact with Dave Pensado. Dave Pensado saw one of my videos and was like, hey, you know, you're good. And he was super nice. He invited me in his studio. It was like, I saw you're coming to LA. When you come to LA, just call me. And I was like, okay. I remember I landed on Saturday and I didn't want to bother him on the weekend. So I went to the gym and on Sunday and my phone rang and it was him. It was like, hey, did you land? I was like, yeah, I didn't want to bother you. No, 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 come here. Long story short, he was super nice. He invited me in his studio. We talked for like six hours, just him, me and him. And he was like, you know what? You're, you're good. You should be here. And that was kind of a, a light bulb moment. I was like, what the hell am I waiting for? So it was like, I, I arranged the move quicker than I thought. And yeah. We came back here. <laughs> I want to ask you about a key moment there in your past where you were playing in this band yeah. and you started to find audio more enticing. So what was it about audio that brought you into that and, and started to get your attention more than music? I want to say frustration. 
Mm. Because when I was recording with the band, I didn't find an engineer that was able to transfer my sounds, especially my guitars, on tape. Hmm. It's just, no, that's not the sound. That's not what I hear from the amp. That's not what I want on the record. And we tried several times. And I was like, you know what? Just take a break. Let me sit here. Let me see <laughs> what can I do. I mean, it can be worse than this because I don't like it already. You know, I don't want to offend anyone. But that was literally it. That was why. Because I could not find someone that could actually translate what I had in my mind on tape or on a hard drive. And I think now that I know what I know, I think that's a pretty important aspect of being an engineer is to translate, is to understand what the musician hear in his head and then transfer it to tape. And so after yeah. grueling trial and errors, I was finally able to get it. And I was like, okay, I kind of enjoyed this. And I got the result. So let me let me study it. This was all happening before you came to the US. Yes, this was before I came to the US. Actually, if I think about it now, I got my first guitar when I was eight years old, nine years old. It was given me as a gift. And I remember I sucked up playing guitar. I always did. But I really liked to tweak knobs on pedals. So if I think about it now, it's probably started back then. I was like leaving a note playing and then messing with pedals and flanger and all the effects that I had back then. So I think it probably started back then. But yeah, it was out of frustration. It was out of frustration because I couldn't hear the sounds that I had in my mind recorded. Did anybody in your family have any kind of technical background? No, absolutely not. I want to say my mother probably was somewhat influential because she wanted me to play an instrument and she mm. liked piano. She just thought it was an enrichment, so to speak. Yeah. So she signed me for piano lessons, but I didn't really like the music that they were teaching me because they were all mostly classic pieces. But I mean, remember we were in Italy, so there was no really modern music culture there, especially in the institutional teaching. And after that, friends of mine had guitars. So I was like, that's a cooler instrument than piano. <laughs> I like it better. And so that's how I started. But no, nobody, I wasn't born into music. But back then when I was a kid, I was a bullied kid because I look weird, because I was pale, I had black circles under my eyes when I was nine years old. And I think music was my escape. Uh -huh. My cousin turned me into rock and metal back then. So early ACDC and, and all that and Ron James Dio. So I clicked with that. Huh. I don't know. There was an energy that was therapeutical, I can mm -hmm. say. Because, of course, you know, when you get bullied and you're in that kind of situation, you have a lot of rage and you have to expel it somehow. And that was that was my way. I was listening to those songs and I was relating to that. Yeah, that kind of music's very empowering. Yeah. I would agree. Well, so you moved around Europe quite a bit and lived in, yeah. you mentioned Paris. Where in Germany were you? Oh, in Berlin. I was going back and forth back then. Okay. But I, I lived a little bit there, too. Now that you've been in the U.S. a while, was it a bit of a shock to come to the U.S. and adapt to how life was here as compared to Europe and, and especially Italy? This will sound weird, but I was always drawn to specifically this side of the U.S. Simply because this, again, will sound silly, but I grew up reading Marvel comics Mm -hmm. in English, because it was a way for me to learn the language even when I was like 9, 10. So I always gravitated toward the culture here. Mm -hmm. And this always felt like home for me. Since the very first day that I put my foot down in LA, like this was the place that felt like home. 
and no other place did before. So I think I started gravitating around the culture of US first. Mm-hmm. And then I liked everything here. It looked and sounded like a place where you could be yourself and you didn't have to hear comments if you, you had a mohawk or if you had blue hair or if you were something like that or if you wanted music to be your profession. Because mm-hmm. that's a big difference probably many US people don't see or don't know. It's like in most places in, in Europe still, if you say you're a musician or if you say you're a mix engineer, people ask you, yeah, okay, but what will you do for a living? Mm. To answer your question, no, I didn't. I felt home and I felt not at home in all the other places that I that I lived before. So it was fairly easy to adapt. I, I even had the sleeping schedule all messed up when I was in Europe <laughs> compared to here. I was like almost living with this time zone. So it, it felt very natural. And you currently live in Los Angeles, is that right? Correct. Okay. When you were in Europe, were there any mentors in the world of audio that you were in contact with that were living in Europe? Nope, unfortunately not. Oh. <laughs> Mine has been really a history of trial and error okay. and just doing it and doing it and doing it and studying. I'm a student. I like to research, I like to read, and I'm a Virgo, so I have really high focus. So when I start studying something, I won't turn my head up until I'm done knowing everything about that thing. So uh, unfortunately, no, I didn't have that much help in that sense. I was because of the band, I was able to work and be in big studios there. Mm. So I was already familiar with the big analog console and all the gear and all that. And all that fascinated me. So that's why I started studying like, okay, what, what this thing does, but nobody, no real mentor. So that's why I think for people right now that wants to learn the profession, this is a great time we live in because I wish I had all the information that is out there right now. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Mixbus TV. When did you come up with the idea to do this? The channel started in 2014, even though I didn't really start to upload consistently or seriously videos up until 2016, I think. And that was the same reason. <laughs> At that point, I was already mixing and mastering for a living. And sometimes I was going to YouTube to try to find inspiration. Let me see like how I can do something like this, that kind of sound or this kind of trick, or maybe just hearing things or taking a look at other engineers' techniques just to learn. And I don't want to sound cocky, but I couldn't find anything. Right. I couldn't find anything. And and the worst part was there were some tutorials out there that they were completely wrong. And misinformation was already present there, not as uh, today is crazy, but it was. And I was like, no, that's not right. That You don't do that. <laughs> what are you doing? Just stop. <laughs> and that was, again, just like for the band, out of frustration, because I was like, no, 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 no. I, let me explain <laughs> to you how <laughs> you can do this. And probably, again, being a Virgo, you know, we are kind of like that, which is annoying at times. But I also had students. In the studio where I used to work, I had students. So I started using videos to show my student, my real life student, how to do things and something because it was easier instead of explaining it for like in a mail or something. And then I thought, all right, I can put it out there. Maybe it will help someone. Mm-hmm. And few videos after, oh, YouTube, <laughs> the funny thing is why YouTube? Because there was uh, an inside joke between me and some of my friends. 
I'm friends with many big fitness channels that are my personal friends. And they were asking me like training advices and all that. And I was giving them to them because I've been training for my whole life. And they were like, dude, you should open a fitness YouTube channel. And I was like, I'm not going to take my shirt off on YouTube. You're crazy. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, that's never going to happen. That's that Virgo modesty. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, there's no way. But then a few months after, that's why I think everything happens for a reason. I was like, oh, my friends told me that you can do this on YouTube and that on YouTube. Let me take a look at it. And I did not know anything about monetization or any of that or sponsorship or anything. I was like, okay, let's put up a couple of videos and the guidelines of YouTube gives you, oh, you have to have a logo. You have to have this, you have to have that. And I didn't want to appear with my face hmm. at the beginning because I was in a band and I didn't want to. It's strange. Like sometimes people can accept that you are, oh, either you're a musician or you are an engineer. You can be good at both, at least 10 years ago. Now it's well accepted, but back then it wasn't like, they need to box you in. Yeah. Either you're a musician or you're an engineer. So I didn't want to appear. And so I came up with the name and the logo just like that. Few videos after one of the, one of the videos went semi-viral for the niche that we have as an audience. And I was like, okay, so I'm actually helping people. I saw people like thanking me because this was awesome. And many people said, dude, nobody ever talked about this. Why? And I was like, mm, I don't know. It's basic for me. I have no idea why. And it was that the famous video about high pass filters, which is now like half a million. It was super basic. But yeah, then I realized, okay, maybe I have some things to teach people that no, nobody else is doing. So why not? Hmm. I want to ask you about your weight training. So when did you begin training and when did that become a focus of your life? Like I mentioned before, I was bullied in school. Because okay. I was skinny and I was weird looking. So I think that was my reaction to the world. I was like, all right, I don't want to become stronger. I was never after the aesthetic of the trained body. I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be stronger. My father always told me someday, like when you grow up, I want you to go swimming so you have big shoulders and like that. My father died when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. So I think those things kind of stuck in my head. So I started training. I started training by myself, like probably many people, you know, mm -hmm. buying your weights and training home. And that was even just as therapeutic as the music. And the two combined, you train with the music that you like. It's, it was just like very therapeutic. It's empowering because you become stronger, you, you see changes and it gives you confidence. I don't know, it was also a way to release stress, to release anger instead of maybe directing it to go and fight in the street or something. Yeah, it became, it became my routine. I never had any problem. Oh my God, I got to go to train or something. Yeah, of course, someday you're tired, but it was something, yeah, you have to do it. You do it. That's what you do. And being, being who you are, as far as, you know, your approach to being a student, really researching and digging deep into the topic. Did you do that for weight training? Oh yeah, absolutely. I science out everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I did the same exact thing. For that, I actually had friends later on, like 10, 15 years ago, that were professional power lifter. So I studied with them, and, but I did the same thing. I studied exercise science. I studied biochemistry. I studied why if you eat that instead of that, you have this result. Why I'm training my ass off and that guy is like a lot bigger than me and, and stronger. Like why I don't look like that or why my deadlift is stuck at 400 pounds and I can't get past that. So I, I did that. I, I studied it in the same exact way. <laughs> That's me. 
What do you think the similarities or the parallels are between training and weightlifting versus audio? I think that the common thing for me is discipline mm. and attention to details, because it might not seem the case with training, but I think discipline, focus, and attention to details are the two things that I see training for how silly will sound helped my mixing engineer because of these factors because people don't think about this and you don't if you don't train hardcore but think about this you have 350 pounds on your back and you have to squat if, if something goes wrong like a little detail like your foot is a little off you're gonna mess yourself up really bad so you need to be focused, you need to be checking your position, your movements, your breath. You need to be so in tune with your body to be able to do something like that. Or you just lift 500 pounds, deadlift. Every single detail that goes from the moment you grab the bar and the moment you go up is checking details and having focus being in the moment. And I think mixing is the same thing. You have to be so in tune with your ears, your brain. No when and how the brain gets tricked when you hear certain things and trying to be objective, trying to have focus. I think these two things are very in common between the two. And self-discipline. Mm. Self-discipline because, of course, nobody is going to push you to the gym every day. Yeah, you can have a friend for a week or here and there, but at the end of the day, is you. You have to lift your ass up the couch and go. And that's self-discipline. In the same way, I think mixing it's self-discipline not to fool yourself because it's so easy. You compress something, it sounds louder. If you don't double check yourself, you do, if you don't have the self-discipline of saying, no, 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 I need to level match and I need to make sure. Those are the hundred little moves that we do that you need to check yourself. You need to have self-discipline and be humble and say, I need to make sure this sounds better, not just louder. Yeah. All these <laughs> things, I think they are, they are related. And I would assume that in weight training and in the world of, of audio, they, they both have their magazines, their YouTube channels, their good information, their bad information, yeah. their rock stars. Is that accurate? It is 100% true. And actually going back to why I started the channel is because talking with my friends in the fitness industry, they were complaining about the same thing. Dude, this, this guy is teaching squat like this. They, he's going to fuck people up, you know? Yeah. you know, because it's so wrong. And they were explaining to me how it was wrong. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually it. Or even something that I really, really hate, especially nowadays in the fitness industry is there's a lot of, uh, this is, I don't want to offend anyone, but they give false expectation. Let's put it this way. Because okay. they tell you, I'm taking this protein and this is why I look like this. Uh, no, 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 you don't. You take other stuff and then <laughs> that's the protein on top, but it doesn't do anything. And this, it, it's bad because then there, I've been there. There are kids that believe these guys because they're superstar, because they look amazing. And they go to train and they go in the gym and they eat right and they train their ass off and they don't get the results and then they get frustrated and maybe they quit. But it's because that guy didn't tell you what else he does to look like that. Yeah. And I think in the same way, I don't know if you saw my video on Billie Eilish from bedroom to stardom. I did not. So I did this video because when Billie won, I don't remember, six, seven, eight, nine <laughs> Grammys, her brother said, we did it from our bedroom. You can do it too, which is a positive message, like I said in the video, and I'm all for it. But you kind of left a big part between <laughs> writing an album in your bedroom, which is mostly computer-based, 
and how you get to win six Grammys. Now, between point A and point B, there's a lot of stuff. And by stuff, I mean there's a lot of money, there's a lot of promotion, there's a lot of contacts. There's a lot of things that most people don't have. So by saying all you need is a computer and a bedroom and you can win Grammys too, I think is misleading in this way because maybe there's going to be a whole generation that believes that, believes that, that that's all you need. And they try for years and they think, why am I not getting there? Because I suck. And maybe right. they do, but maybe they don't. Maybe they don't and they are going to quit because they don't understand that there's a million dollar industry in marketing and promotion and connection to get from the bedroom to the start. I think that's a, that's a great comparison yeah. of, the, of the weightlifting person that's not telling you the full details mm -hmm. and the Billie Eilish thing. And I'm just, uh, hang on one sec. I am looking yep. up one thing, uh, mixing engineer, Billy Eilish. Exactly. He was the, the album they forgot to say that was mixed by, I don't remember her name, a professional mix engineer, mastered by a professional mix engineer. Rob Kanelsky. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my friend John Greenham mastered the records. Yeah. yeah. And my video went like over 100,000 views, like 95% of people was like, yeah, thank you for saying it. Because it's true. Because anybody who did this for a minute knows that the music alone, it won't take you anywhere. And maybe there's one case in a million in which you had a song that goes viral just completely organically. Mm. But you can't take the exception as a rule because you're going to smack your head against the wall a million times before that happens. If you take exceptions as rules just because it seems easier to do it that way, yeah, it seems easier because it is and it doesn't happen. It happens once in a million. You're better off probably doing the way all the other Grammy winners did it up until now. So grinding and putting the work down. But today the market is a little bit different because of social media, because it's easy to get on top like overnight. But it's easy because many times they want you to think that it's easy because then the artist is more relatable. Yeah. But it's not. Billy was sponsored by Chanel and she <laughs> she was with like a five big brands and, and PR companies before that happens. And like I said in the video, chapeau to them. They did an amazing job. They won six Grammys, not because they suck. Right. And you don't get that big as Billy if people don't like you. I said that in the video. So I'm not bashing her. Right. Absolutely. I think she's a, she's a great artist. But it's just a message that kind of rubbed me the, the, the wrong way because... You're giving false expectation. That's it. Yeah. Because you've seen that in the weightlifting world too. Yeah. So. And also I'm doing this myself right now with my artist Bella that I've been working with for two years. And we released the first single four months ago. And her video is a 1 million views. I've seen the video. Is this the one where you're in it and you're eating the meat? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the video is at 1 million views in four months and with no prior work. This is 100% the debut. I kept her off social media this whole time because I wanted to come up with the final image and the final product. I didn't want anything. And we can talk about this if you want, just because it pop and mainstream is so different than rock and alternative in this sense. Yeah. If you notice, you never see the pop star rising from the bottom. The pop star, it's pop star when he's out. The it same pops. day, it, yeah, <laughs> and and the metal and rock band indie band, you see them from like the little shows and then the first EP and then the album. You see the growth. The pop star doesn't do that. The pop star is pop star the moment that it's out.
so yeah, I, I've been doing and I'm doing this with my artists and even to get a million views on a video and we got uh, 15 covers on magazines and stuff and she's doing great. We're gonna film the second video soon, like in a, about three, four weeks. We didn't go from the bedroom to start to that, it, which right. is not stardom, but there was a lot of work behind the scenes. There was a lot of other things going on. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. You're a multifaceted guy. You really are. You've got a lot going Thank on. You. You've got, you know, you're doing the weight training thing. Audio is is a passion of yours and, and you're doing that. You're also doing artist development and production. Yeah. Do you like having a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak? A lot of pans on the stove? Yeah. I do, I do. I think it's my it's my biorhythm. Uh -huh. I have to be like fast paced, and even in a, when I have like a, a day that is a free day or something, I'm super happy. Oh my god, I have a free day because I've been working so much and everything. But then after three hours, I'm like, okay, what do we do? Yeah. Do you get edgy if you're sitting around like watching TV or something? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because my training on one hand is my relaxed time. Because that's when I think it's a different kind of stress and it's a different kind of mental capacity. It's so different that I'm kind of rested after it. My body is tired, but my, my mind is recharged, if it makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned you were bullied as a kid. Yeah. You're no longer a kid. No. <laughs> You're clearly a very confident man and doing well in, in your area of audio and production and such. So what drives you to continue the weight training to this day? I like to challenge myself. Okay. That's just how I am. So in the same way that every time I don't, when I do a mix, I don't look for shortcuts or to save time unless I have to and I have a short deadline and stuff. But the way I am, I'm going to build that delay from scratch using three, four, five different processors and make it unique. Hmm. I don't like shortcuts in that sense. I am efficient. I like to be efficient. I don't like to waste time. But at the same time, 
I kind of, every time I do something, I want to prove that I do it in the hard way, just to prove it to myself that I can. Mm. If I cannot use samples, I will try to do that. If I can not to use an effect that I use in another song and transfer it to it, which I'm never able, by the way, I kind of do it. I always like to challenge myself. And the same for weight training. I don't chase numbers anymore because my all-time goal was like my deadlift 500 pounds. I got that. And because I'm not 250 pounds, I'm fairly small guy. I was like, all right, I can't push that anymore. I'm going to break myself. But I do other things, like maybe I tire myself before that, or maybe today I'm going to train faster and see if I can do it that way. And in the same way as mixing, I kind of have to always prove myself that I can do better, that I can accept challenge and win them and overcome whatever obstacle that is there. I create the obstacle sometimes yeah. just to prove it that I can do it. It's interesting in audio because those of us in audio are not always really known as maybe not unhealthy, but we're not the healthiest people. Definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons why you stand out because <laughs> there's not a lot of folks in audio that do weight training. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, I don't really see it all that often. I <laughs> no, mean, you're, one, no, you you're one of the exceptions that I think I've seen. And do you try to encourage others to do weight training or stay healthy? Yes, absolutely. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to look at what you, you want to eat for dinner and tell you, oh, that is too fat. Oh, you shouldn't eat. I'm not that, that guy. But if I'm asked, of course, I will help out. But as for the training, I always say it. I always say it. Like, it takes so little. It takes like 40 minutes, three times a week hmm. to improve your health, especially, you know, when you pass 35, let's put it this way, and offset most of the common problems, health problems that you can have. And that goes for everything, for weight, for, you know, if you smoke, if you don't eat that well, if you have some potentially genetic issues that could develop later on, and it takes so little. And I always say it's never for the looks. Who cares about the looks? People who cares about the look, we call them all show and all go. They do chest <laughs> and biceps and that's it. And, and we train and we train back three times a week because you see how strong is a man when you look at from the back, not from the front. So I always say that don't care about the looks. It's, it's really your health. I had a friend that had a health problem recently. And I remember last year to tell him like, hey, just go and do it. Even if you do, like I said, like three times a week, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, anything is better than nothing. It's such a big improvement in your health markers, bloods, everything. And it doesn't really take that much to get that big chunk of benefit. The 70% of the benefits that you have, it really takes 20% of the effort compared to how much I put. Hmm. I always say like, you guys think about it now before it's too late and then you wish you had. Yeah. So you have this way of operating that's very detailed. You educate yourself greatly. How are you with your business and finances? Do you carry that same discipline over into that area? No, I suck major ass at that. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm so surprised. Yeah, I am really, really bad. Everything that is marketing, so to speak, which is silly because on one of my channel, we promote products like hardware and plugins and all that. But I do that because I really like the stuff that I feature on my channel. And I, I couldn't do it with something that I don't like because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to hype. I don't know how to market myself. All these things and my finances is the same thing. I try my best, but <laughs> I rely on professionals for that because I'm not good at it. And that's another thing that I think it's important. Like you need to know your limits. You need to know what you're good at and what you're not. 
<laughs> and today, especially in the music business, people want to believe that they can do everything themselves, themselves, and that's the new way, that's the future, that's the new school. No, it's not the new school. Mm. I did my first album all by myself, so to speak. Yeah. Not the mixing, but the writing and arranging and all that. And if one thing I could change, if I could go back, would be, no, I need to collaborate with 10 talented people. <laughs> It takes a team, right? Yeah, it, it does. It really does. And again, this kind of mindset, I think, it goes back to what we were talking about before. You take one exception, that DJ that made it big by doing one track on his laptop on Logic, and then it became viral. But think about the other 100 millions that didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. That's an exception. Don't take exceptions as a rule. So the studio that you're talking to me from, is this in your house or is this an outside building that you own or rent? It's an outside building in LA, yeah. Okay. Tell me about putting that together and what was the process of, of doing that? Because it's gorgeous it's and it's you definitely have this aesthetic that as a fan of horror movies, I'm sorry, audience, but you can't see this, but yeah. he's, David's got the guy from Hellraiser. Yeah, Pinhead and the Chatterer from Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> I've loved horror movies for a long time, yeah. so I see that. It just it warms my heart, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have the Funko Pops for, for the Hellraiser characters and stuff. And Bella instead, is, she's all about Freddy Krueger, so there's always this inside battle between me and her who's better <laughs> and who will win in a fight between <laughs> Freddy Krueger and, and Hellraiser. I don't know. I, I did the aesthetic, like the things, this how I like. I, I had several studios during the year, mm -hmm. and I went back and noticed that I always gravitated towards blue and black and stuff like that. So I, I guess those were my favorite colors. Well, it was definitely a big, big work to put this together because I, w I moved and I built this during COVID. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So I was in another room. I was waiting to find the right place. So I had at that time a temporary room. My main monitors didn't even fit in there. So I had to like crumb things. But yeah, it was it was hard. I did all this during COVID, so it was a problem for everything. I moved also in the meantime. So it was a lot of a lot of moving, a lot of lifting, not heavy weights, but gear. Little by little, I had to dismantle the old room that I had. So take the desk away with friends that helped me. And you can imagine uh, taking all the cables out. That's the most <sighs> painful thing in the world. <laughs> and I have a lot of gear. So like <laughs> I have probably something like 600 cables or something behind the desk. Yeah. Moving the monitors, those monitors, people know them from my videos. They're like the biggest monitor Eve Audio has. Mm -hmm. Those are the 3012. They're like 120 pounds each. They're, <laughs> they're like gigantic monitors. But David, you can deadlift 500. Come on. <laughs> I actually I actually did that on camera. I did a video on the studio setup, uh -huh. like a time-lapse video, where I actually I, I had to lift one of those monitors by myself. So it's on video. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> this new place, how is it special to you in terms of, is it location for you or the, or the structure of the building? What What made you choose this space? Well, it's kind of funny because it's a big room. It's a much bigger than, than it looks. Mm. And Dave Bass, which is a known studio builder, helped me build the sidewall that is in here. I like it because it's very like home and we have everything here. Like we can spend a day here and feel free. Like that's a kitchen, there's everything. So it's very familiar. We have a couch. You can spend a day here. It's not just yeah. cold technical studio because we spend a lot of time here. 
Yeah. You put a lot of effort into it, I know. Yeah. So you want to you be comfortable. And this is not a walk-in place. This is only like artists that I work with are allowed here. Uh-huh. So somehow we can call it private. And it's not like exactly a commercial studio that you can walk in. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. It sounds amazing. And I don't have any more space for gear. And I'm receiving like a couple of more units and I don't know where to put them. But that is a good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever go through and clean house and like get rid of stuff? I did before moving here. Okay. Because I had, believe it or not, I had more gear than that. So I kind of did like, all right, I need to get rid of the stuff that I'm not using that much or it's kind of redundant because of course moving the stuff was expensive. So I had to have that in mind as well. But yeah, at this point in my career and I work with hardware companies. So many times it's just give me stuff. Yeah. I am to a point in which, okay, when I when I cleaned up the closet, so to speak, I realized that at some point you have too much gear or too much toys and they don't help your work anymore. They, they just become distracting. Yeah. Because you kind of see that unit that you have there and you haven't used it for six mixes and it's dusty. And you think like, maybe I should try to use it because it's there and it doesn't work. So you waste the time. <laughs> when you have too many of these things, they kind of distracting because the things that you use every day, your your go to the distressors, the fatso that I have, like the, all the gear that I have now, like I know what they do at any settings. Yeah, you can put random settings on one unit and ask me how it's gonna sound, and I can tell you. But the stuff that you don't use often, you kind of forget, so you kind of go and try again. And when you have an excess of gear, that becomes distracting, I think, and you just start fucking around and not mixing anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I find that it's funny. Sometimes I'll get like attracted to a piece of gear and I'll think, oh, I'd really like to try that. And that's really the reality. I just want to try it. I don't necessarily want to own it and incorporate it into my workflow. Yeah, I'm lucky this way because basically I have here, I have a unit from a company that is not even out yet. Right. Companies trust me to tell them like, hey, is this unit okay to put out? Can you try it? Tell me what you think, tell me what you change. Same for plugins, but... I think more than any other channel, you see professional audio gear on mine for a reason. Because I'm mm. not a YouTuber. I'm really not. I don't even, I'm not even a great YouTuber. <laughs> I'm a mix engineer. You know, that mm. happens to have a YouTube channel. So companies, I, I think they see this. And that's why they trust me with stuff like that. With like, this is a new compressor. This is a new preamp. Tell me what you think. Here's the unit. So I'm lucky that way because I literally get to try stuff even before it's out. Back to coming to the U.S. Now, I know that for many years you felt like this is home and and, yeah. and you felt like this is the place to be. But I'm sure there are things that you bring from your upbringing as an immigrant to the U.S. that gives you a little bit of an edge or an advantage. Is there something that you bring from your background that you think does that? I want to believe so. Uh-huh. But I wouldn't be able to pinpoint what exactly. I think just the fact that you lived in different cultures, different languages, different habits. I think this is an enrichment for everybody, no matter where they come, no matter what they are. So as long as you're open-minded and you embrace everything that is new around you, even if you don't necessarily click with it, I think it's an enrichment for everyone. And Maybe that's the reason why I am considered so versatile as a mix engineer, because I have courses on metal and hip hop and I mix EDM or rock and any other genre in between. And I think probably that's growing in 
and traveling so much and seeing so many different realities, like how are the clubs in, in Berlin? How are the clubs in UK? How are the clubs in Italy or in other parts of the world? You kind of see different scenes, mm -hmm. which is where music is alive between clubs and venues and live shows and all that. You see what happens before, you see what happens after, you see how people react to certain acts. So I think that's, that's probably why, especially if you're an observer like me, I like to observe people. And, and to try to learn, because that's, that's my job. When I have a musician and a client, I need to understand what he wants. So that's a habit that I have. Yeah. I observe people. You kind of get a good insight on what they like, what they don't like, why they like it. When they talk about a musician or a concert that just happened or that lineup of that festival. Hmm. So I think that's, that's it, probably. Yeah, I think that spending time around other cultures from different backgrounds and in different countries definitely brings with it, obviously, a worldliness, but just an empathy and a way to relate to people. Yeah. It's also, and this is just my experience, you know, I, I've lived in San Francisco since 1988, mm -hmm. and it's always been my observation when you see immigrants from other countries come here and whether they're escaping, you know, violence in their country or they just want to come and try something new. Right. It's always been my experience that immigrants come to this country and they kick ass. They come yeah. here with a focus <laughs> and a determination that is really admirable. And so that's why I asked that. That's why I'm curious, because that's just been my observation here in the yeah. Bay Area is seeing that and going, wow. I agree. Of course, we can't generalize too much, but I think especially like me, I moved here with a goal in mind to expand my business, my work, collaboration and all that. I came here to grind. I didn't came here yeah. to party. That's right. That was the goal. And I wasn't backed up by anyone. So you have no choice but succeed. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble because you move across the world. And even if you have like a little money aside, those are going to finish pretty soon if you don't <laughs> start yeah. doing well, especially in Los Angeles. You ain't cheap. Well, we're, we're almost out of time. I do want to ask you, what continues to motivate you day to day? And where do you seek that motivation? Again, it's the same as for training is mm -hmm. you come from within. Yeah. But in this business, is, is definitely because I think I get better when I talk to my clients and I see that they are happy and I get to do something in a mix that I didn't do ever before and it sounds good and all these little things. I think I find beauty in just the little details that you can put in the next mix. And the fact that I have clients that literally I can mix a reggae album and a metal one and an EDM one in three days, that keeps me fresh. It keeps me excited because I don't get bored. Maybe I mix metal every day and it's the same stuff or I mix, you know, hip hop yeah. every day is the same stuff. No, I literally every week I have something completely different. And lately I want to say Bella's project is just, at this point is like it's at the top of my interest. Let's put it this way. And I never did it before. Yeah. I did it because of her. I wasn't never in my mind to enter such a venture, which is so crazy <laughs> because we are aiming high with her. She is a superstar. She's nothing like short than that. So everybody needs to work with that in mind and aiming that way. It takes a lot of mental energy. Oh, yes, absolutely. And mm. I never thought like this is what I'm going to do next. Even if it's a normal, natural evolution, mm -hmm. I never thought because even if I'd never did it before, I knew how time consuming it was and how hard it was. But when I met her, it just happened 
Mm. It wasn't a question. There was no doubt. She said hi to me. She said just hi. And I was like, say that again. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what was that sound that came out of your mouth? Like, let me hear it again. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. We clicked immediately, the both of us. And, and that was right there, uh, the beginning of this pretty crazy venture that we are in right now. Do you get most of your work by word of mouth? And do you also get work as a result of Mixbus TV? Yes, definitely. I would say 70% is word of mouth. Mm. I don't run ads because we go back to me sucking at marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't run ads. I don't even know how to promote myself really. So it's like word of mouth, probably my credit list. Even if I don't have a Grammy, I work with so many different artists and so many different genres. I do get some work from YouTube just because they see me. And in my videos, I use the songs that I mix that master. Yeah. Because it's easy for the copyright because I have license for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Many times there's people like, wow, this sounds great. Did you mix it or did you master it? I was like, yeah. So hmm. a little bit comes from there. Well, where can people find out more about you beyond Mixbus TV on YouTube, which I'll, of course, include a link in the show notes? There's two websites. One is mixbustv.com. Okay. And the other one is mynamemixing.com. So davidnazimixing.com which okay. is a brand new website. You can find everything. They can find all the information, discography and all that. And my artist, bellakellyofficial.com, which is her website. We are all intertwined. You will see me in our website and her in my website because we are basically one entity at this point. I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We did a photo shoot together for lip service. Well, she was the model, but they had me jump in for a couple of pictures. And it's funny because after the video with her, a friend of mine called me and wanted me to be the bad guy in a band's video. They're called the commas. They're doing very well. And they wanted me to be the bad guy in their video because it was like a Mad Max style video. And they got like over a million views. They're doing well. So it was fun. It was so hot. It was in the desert in like some dead sea, like three, four hours from here and smell horribly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But it was super hot. Like there were guys with like bags of ice on my shoulders because it was super hot, but it was fun. Hey, maybe maybe there's yet a, another <laughs> career there that you can add into your repertoire as as an actor. I know they've been they've been saying this for so long, so many times. I can't take it seriously, but you know what? You never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know what what life brings. Well, David, it's really great to meet you. I can't wait till we can all get back together at NAM shows and AES shows, and we can talk in person and hang out. Absolutely, absolutely. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Matt. And I really, really hope just like you that we're going to be back and talking in person and have some human interaction because this is driving everybody's crazy, I think. I know. <laughs> I'm going a little stir crazy myself. Well, David, you take care. You too. Thank you for having me and talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LPUNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. 
David Nazi here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. If you enjoyed the interview, please head on over to iTunes and leave a positive review. And that does it for me today. Let me thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo in the editing, Cliff Truesdale in the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his magical voice there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Stop by workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.